0: Matt Rawlings, one of the pastors here, want to say thank you along with Aaron for being here today with us. We are grateful that you join together and worship the Savior. And I just personally find it to be one of my favorite Sundays when we get to celebrate the joy of a believer experiencing baptism. Did did everybody else really enjoy that? I mean, that was an incredible experience. What we celebrate is new life. The fact that God has made someone else born again, given new life in the ability to live for Him, brought somebody out of darkness into His kingdom of life, and that's what we celebrate. That's a wonderful picture of being buried with Jesus in the waters of baptism and being raised to new life again. And I think that is just a highlight for me. I could just end there, but we're going to keep preaching anyway. So um, turn your Bibles to John chapter 16. We have a little mini-series mini break on the characteristics of a disciple. In case you're wondering, I didn't title it earlier, but that's the title really of this little mini-series that we are in, in this little break between books of the Bible, And this, what what does it look like to be a disciple? What are are the characteristics of a disciple or of a follower of Jesus Christ? And we began in John 15 with um, being a disciple is it's abiding in Jesus. And then how do disciples grow? Well, disciples grow by abiding in prayer, abiding in his word, and abiding in the truth. And then last week we looked at another characteristic of disciples that disciples are hated, And that doesn't seem really encouraging, but Jesus was wanting to care for and warn his disciples because he didn't want them to be caught off guard and surprised that this world is not our home and this world stands in opposition to us. And if if we're truly following Jesus as disciples, we're going to be hated by the world, but to take heart, he's not left us alone. And so this week we're following up with the, the passage that just follows that where Jesus has told them, not only am I leaving you, But I'm also letting you know that you're going to be hated. And by the way, they're going to kick you out of the church. They're going to persecute you. Some of them are going to kill you, and they're thinking they're serving me by doing that. And so he brings this message to his disciples the night before He's betrayed. So let's read God's holy inspired word, and, and let's go ahead and stand for the reading of God's word. This is, God's word is uniquely inspired. This is, this is the only perfect, flawless thing you're going to hear this morning is this word we read together. This is God's word. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, so often we operate in the Christian life as if we're alone. So often we are so aware of circumstances and situations and things around us. So often we're aware of busyness and routines and schedules and And we forget, Lord, that you've not left us alone. That we don't have to go this life alone. That you have you have given us a helper, and it's actually more beneficial that we have this helper. God, would you enable us to to see the gift of the helper, to look to the great helper? And God, would you enable us to rely on you so that we might glorify you? And I pray that you would illuminate our hearts and our minds. Make these truths alive, Lord. Lord, speak as if you were speaking to the disciples then in that day. Lord, may all of us hear your words as if we were the disciples sitting in the upper room the night before you are betrayed. May we hear your words with the same impact. Empower me to preach, I pray, Holy Spirit. Empower us to hear, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have you ever had somebody who's dear to you leave you? I know it sounds like a, an odd question, but... A kind of a downer at the beginning of a message. You ever had somebody dear to you leave you? Maybe a friend has left you. Maybe a loved one has left you. Maybe a parent or another family member. You know, being apart from a loved one can be really difficult. It can be, it can be hard, and especially if you know ahead of time that they're leaving and you, you have time to prepare for it. There can be a sadness ahead of time and, and it comes from the idea of being parted. Even if it's just temporary leaving... And if you're just parting for a while, it can be gut-wrenching. And, and so when we have this teaching that Jesus is bringing, it is in the middle of this gut-wrenching moment. Jesus has been preparing his disciples for his departure ever since chapter 14 of John. He has been preparing his disciples for the fact that he is going to be betrayed. He's going to be killed. He's going to raise, but then he's going to go and be with the Father and he won't be with them any longer. And his disciples are shocked. They're shell shocked. It was like a bomb had gone off in the room because they've been with Jesus for three years and they've been around him, they followed him, they voted their lives to him, they've given everything that they have to him. This mission, they've left everything behind, they've forsaken all, and they're following him. And so now they're hearing, hey, by the way, I'm going to leave you. They're like, what in the world? How would you have reacted? They were understandably concerned. You can't blame the disciples. I think we would have reacted the same way. You know, I don't like to be away from my family. It's one of my least favorite things. I know some people like me time and and, and the like, but for me, I actually want time just to be with my family. They're my favorite people. I love you guys, but I love my wife and my kids even more. And I know the idea of... My kid's leaving is not fond. You know, I think about my oldest son, Noah. He's going to be preparing to go off to college. I don't know if he's leaving home or not to do that yet, so, but he's preparing to go off to college. And, and that idea just bothers me. I don't like it because I love him and I don't want to be around him and I don't want to be here. And so I try to avoid thinking much about it during the day. But the disciples, they couldn't avoid thinking about it. They knew it was coming imminently. He says, the hour has come. And Jesus was just about to depart If you had been one of Jesus' disciples, if you'd seen his breathtaking ministry, if you sat under his teaching, his miracles, if you'd you'd seen what he'd done, if you heard what he said, how he revealed God, he brought you closer to God than anyone else, and he'd become closer than a brother, but more than that, he was the best leader that they'd ever known. When he spoke, his words had life. They learned things they'd never known before. They began to understand themselves and the human condition in a way they never had before. He was always right and they could rely on him. They could trust on him. They knew he was ever faithful, ever true, never would steer them wrong. He was the one they relied on for everything. He was the fulfillment of all their hopes and dreams. To be disciples was the greatest privilege and highest point of their lives. So how in the world could his leaving be better for them? You know, sometimes as Christians, I don't know about you, but I, I sometimes imagine that I would have loved to have been with the early disciples and I would have loved to have Jesus there with me and somehow I think you know, that would have been better for me. But if I begin thinking that way, I'm actually thinking contrary to what Jesus says. Because Jesus says, no, it's actually better that he departs so that he would send the Holy Spirit. But at times I, I get sad and I feel like I feel like I'm alone. The disciples were feeling like they're going to be alone. Sorrow had filled their heart. It was almost, the, the way that it was put, it, 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 it's almost like sorrow is an invasive entity. It's invaded their hearts. It's taken over their hearts. and It's filled their hearts. And Jesus is aware of that, and he, he gently brings a little correction and says, you know, you, you're not even asking me really about, about where, where I'm going. Although Peter asked, he, he really wasn't asking details he was more concerned about himself and the effects on him, understandably. But the primary thing that Jesus does in this passage is, is care for his disciples. Because Jesus wants his disciples to know he's not left them alone. And, and really, the main idea of the whole passage, if you just walk away with one thing, is that Jesus gives his disciples a helper. You're not alone. You've not been left alone. Jesus gives his disciples the helper, and the helper does at least three things. Now, these aren't exhaustive of all the functions and roles of the Holy Spirit, but these are the three things that were most pressing for the disciples to know if they were going to fulfill their mission. They needed to know the functions of the Holy Spirit that were most pressing to complete their mission if they were going to carry out what they were supposed to do. And so he he wants his disciples to know that he has given them a helper to convict. That's important because we can't bring conviction. He's given them a helper to convict. But not only that, he's given a helper to guide them. And then he's given them a helper who not just convicts and guides, but will declare the truth. How in the world could it be true that Jesus going away is better? How in the world could that be true? You know, sometimes I, I wrestle with that myself. How in the world can it be better that Jesus said you didn't stay here? Well, Jesus goes on to explain that. And he says, I've, I've given my disciples, I've given you disciples, I, I give the disciples the helper. And that's what we see. The first, really first idea here is that Jesus gives his disciples a helper. He's not actually leaving any of his disciples alone. He's not left his disciples alone. He's not left any individual disciple alone. You know, think for a moment back about all the times the Holy Spirit was glimpsed in the Old Testament. The disciples should have been a little bit clued into this, but they were, they were probably panicking in the moment, but all the times the Holy Spirit's mentioned in the Old Testament, he's the one who inspired prophets, he, he empowered kings, he, he filled people so that they were able to lead. He gave craftsmen ability and skill in building the temple and the tabernacle, and and. He came upon people like Joshua and Deborah and Gideon and Samson. He empowered them to do mighty acts. Whenever you see the Holy Spirit coming, there is a dramatic effect. Something dramatic transpires in the entire Old Testament. And it was rare, though. It was only to a selective group of people. It It was by no means all the people who believed in him. It was a select few, and it was only temporary for even those people. It was, except for maybe Moses, Elisha, and a few notable others, when the Holy Spirit was given. He was, he was given with powers, a matter of things happened. He empowered them for service, for ministry, but it was temporary and often for specific tasks, and it was limited. He was present with his people generally, but out of the millions of people in the Old Testament, I think there's only a hundred and some odd people in the Old Testament who are mentioned of having the Holy Spirit. Whenever the Holy Spirit was given, though, there was this dramatic difference. In fact, in Isaiah, he prophesied about what it would be like if God's people, when God's people received the Holy Spirit, because God's people were like dry and thirsty ground. You ever feel like dry and thirsty ground, by the way? Isaiah, in Isaiah 44, 3, says, For I will pour out water on the thirsty land, which is a picture of Israel, and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit, not on them, but on your offspring, and my blessing on your descendants. But the spirit wasn't poured out on them in that day. In fact, it wasn't poured out for hundreds of years later, but the results would be dramatic. Isaiah continued to prophesy in the next verse. He says, and they, the offspring, will spring up among the grass like poplars by streams of water. What's the result of the coming of the Spirit? The result of the coming of the Spirit is that the Spirit causes dry ground to produce. It it, it causes people who are dry and barren to spring up, to have life, to grow. Later on in Ezekiel, Ezekiel's prophesying of the time when the Spirit would come, and he says in Ezekiel 36, 26, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Why is that a good promise? Well, because the spirit, before the Spirit came, the people's hearts were hard like stone. Stone is hard and cold and dead and unable to respond. Devoid of life, but once the Spirit's given, a heart of flesh is given. and It's soft and warm and pulsating with life. And the result, you see in the next verse in Ezekiel 36, 27, he says, And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. There is a transformative effect of the Holy Spirit coming and and indwelling believers. It enables them to actually obey God. Not only did Isaiah and Ezekiel prophesy, but so did Joel about the time. In Joel 2, he says, and it shall come to pass afterward that i'll pour out my spirit on all flesh your sons and your daughters will prophesy your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions even on the male and female servants in those days i'll pour out my spirit they didn't have the spirit yet though all the prophets had, had foretold of this time when the Spirit would come and be poured out on all flesh and, and it would be indiscriminate. All believers, all flesh would have it. Didn't matter if you were male or female, slave or free, there would be no distinction. The Holy Spirit would be given to all. That's why Jesus says it's to your advantage. It's far better. Jesus was with a few. He could be with maybe a couple hundred at most at a time. And yet the Holy Spirit is, is given to all people, all of his disciples now. What a wonderful privilege that we can have the empowering presence of the very Spirit of God. The Spirit of God who hovered over the face of the waters in creation. The Spirit of God who breathed life into man. The Spirit of God who inspired all the prophets of old. The Spirit of God who gave gifts to men. Jesus says, it's to your advantage that I go. And then he mentions at least three things that the Spirit does, and three unique actions the Spirit does in and through every disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, some of this is unique to these early disciples, but these are things that can be applied to each and every disciple. And there's, there's three applications of it. So the first thing we see is that Jesus has is, is given us the helper to his disciples. But then we see something else. He says he gives the helper to convict. He gives the helper to convict. Jesus gives his disciples the helper to convict. Now, now, why is that important? I want you to think for a moment about the mission you have as a Christian. The mission as a Christian that we've been given is to go in what? You can say it loud. You can say it louder, it's okay. Everybody, come on. Make disciples. Absolutely. Go and make disciples of all nations. But if you have ever encountered Someone who doesn't like Christians, that can be intimidating, right? You ever encountered people who were hostile to the gospel of Jesus Christ? Anybody ever encountered that? Anybody? Come on. You ever encountered people that you are intimidated by because you think they're smarter than you? I mean, that happens to me all the time. Or maybe they're better arguers, or maybe maybe they have all these reasons. You don't feel prepared. His disciples would have felt ill-equipped. His disciples would not have... Believe that they would be able to take, carry out this mission on their own without Jesus. And He says, "Hey, you're, you're not alone. I'm not here. you're going to be here, but you know what? I'm going to give each and every one of you the very spirit of God, and he's going to do something that's, that's a great promise that's going to enable you to actually be faithful to carry out your mission so that the pressure is not on you, and so that you can be faithful as disciples. To Proclaim the good news, he says. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give the helper to convict. And this word for conviction it's in the sense of showing the world the shame of sin, bringing the world to see their guilt and their need for Jesus, and a call to repentance. Because you know what? Well, the only thing we can do in, in proclaiming the good news of the gospel is proclaim it, we can't bring conviction. We, we can't bring that gift. We can't enable somebody to see that they actually need Jesus, that they are sinful, that they are guilty. And yet this is one of the primary works that the Holy Spirit does is he brings the gift of conviction. That's the reason why Paul says he can be confident that God has chosen the people in the church when he's writing to the people in Thessalonica. He's confident that God's chosen them because they have responded with conviction. I'm going to read that to you in 1 Thessalonians 1.4. He says, For we know, brothers... Loved by God that he has chosen you. And then he tells why the sign of how he knows that the church has been chosen. He says, Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. Because that's what the Holy Spirit does. It's, it's one of the evidences, the marks of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is one who brings conviction. That can only come from the Holy Spirit. If you have experienced personally the gift of conviction, if you've repented and believed in him, you can be sure that the Holy Spirit is at work in you. And then you can have confidence that the Holy Spirit is the one who's going to bring that gift to other people. The gift is immediate as we share the gospel it's not just us and the other person in that conversation. The Holy Spirit is actively, supernaturally at work in the hearts and minds of the people we share the gospel with. And that's, that's our greatest source of confidence. And for me, that gives a lot of hope because I am aware of my feeble abilities in sharing the gospel. I get it wrong. You know, I'll begin in earnest, you know, I'll talk to somebody at the, the checkout line, the cashier in the grocery store, and I'll be having a good conversation, and, and, and somehow I'll go, you know, hey, well you go to church anywhere? No, I don't go to church anywhere. Hey, well, do you, you know about God? No, and then I kind of stumble over my words and I, and I kind of fall apart. Sometimes I lack confidence in, in the Holy Spirit's ability to speak, to bring conviction. And, and Jesus says, no, don't, don't be fearful. You, you've got the Holy Spirit. He's, he's the one who convicts. You know that gives me hope. Not just for sharing the gospel, it gives me hope for my children. If you're a parent, that gives me hope. That gives you hope for your children, no matter how old they are. If you have children who are at home still or who have left home, it gives you hope that the Holy Spirit is able to convict. It gives you hope for family members. You know, there's there's no amount of our behavior that can ever change somebody else. There's no amount of child child rearing that will change our kids. And get them to see their need for Jesus, we can raise them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord, we can show them the way they should go, but really ultimately we're relying on the conviction of the holy spirit and here 's the good news: the Holy Spirit does that he convicts there 's hope for your friend, your neighbor your coworker there 's hope for your family member, your friends. not only does he convict through sharing the gospel, he does that through the gift of prophecy as well some point later on, we'll look at that as well. In 1 Corinthians 14 24, he, he describes what happens if an unbeliever comes into a meeting and people are prophesying. They're, they're sharing a current word from the Lord for today. He says, But if all prophesy and an unbeliever, an outsider, enters, he's convicted by all. He's counted to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so, falling on his face, he'll worship God and declare that God is really among you. The Holy Spirit does that. He brings the gift of conviction through his gifts. And then Jesus specifically, though, says in this passage, three different ways that the Holy Spirit convicts, three three ways the Holy Spirit convicts concerning. And he says, concerning sin. Now, now why do we need to know that? Because he says, because they don't believe in me. Because the world does not believe in Jesus, the Holy Spirit needs to convict them that they're sinning by not believing in Jesus. The helper's actively and graciously at work convicting people of their sins so that they see their need for salvation. They repent. They repent. And then he says, "Concerning righteousness." Now, that's a little odd way of looking at things. When I first read this, I'm like, "What does it mean, concerning sin?" I get that. Concerning sin. Concerning righteousness. How is he going to convict people concerning righteousness? And then, what does it mean to convict people concerning judgment? A conviction about righteousness. Like that righteousness is bad. That judgment is bad. That's kind of the, that's kind of the, the gist. There is he's concerning righteousness. They're going to be convicted. What he's talking about is self righteousness. That humans, we have this inherent desire to find some righteousness, some worth on our own. And, you know, if you you talk to somebody on the street and you say, hey, you know, do you think you're going to go to heaven when you die? If they have some kind of religious background, they'll probably say, yeah, sure. You ask them why, they'll say, well, you know, because I basically lived a pretty good life. I've basically been okay. Okay what are they saying? They're saying, I I have some righteousness on my own. I have some merit on my own. I've accumulated enough righteousness to be accepted by God. And so what do those people need? What do we need? Actually, as well as we need the conviction of the helper to let us see that, that that righteousness is like filthy rags. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He brings truth so that we see that no one can be righteous enough. Now I know we've just finished the Christmas season and I'm going to irritate a lot of people with this illustration I know. Um, Santa Claus drives me nuts. You know I'm not those weirdos who can't stand it or whatever but, but he drives me nuts inwardly and I, and I, I can't stand Santa Claus because he is an anti-gospel message. It's a totally anti-gospel message because here's the message is you can be good enough to get some kind of rewards and if you're good enough whatever that measure is if it's maybe I don't know 55 good deeds compared to 45 bad deeds. I don't know exactly the ratios that this mythical creature uses, but, you know, if you're good enough, you're going to get presents. You're going to get rewards. Things are going to go well in life. But if you're bad, things are going to go bad for you in life. And the reality is is that's an anti-gospel message. And the world needs conviction about, about righteousness like that, conviction to know that no good deed could ever be good enough. The gospel says we're all on the bad list, even Santa Claus, because none of our righteous acts could ever be good enough to earn the favor of God and atone for our sins. And so the helper convicts the world that our so-called righteous deeds are all tainted by sin, by sinful motives, even things that we think are good. And then the Holy Spirit brings us to the place where we see that we're hopeless. We can't have any merit on our own. We have no hope in our own efforts. So we get to the place where we turn to God and we say, Lord, I am undone. I'm unclean. All my works are, are dirty. All my works are, are like filthy rags, but I need a righteousness that comes by faith in Jesus Christ alone. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He reveals our need for the righteousness of Christ and that Jesus alone is righteous. He does that not only through speaking the gospel, but he does it through believer's example too. And the Holy Spirit enables us to, to live that example out. I like the way D.A. Carson put it. He says, undoubtedly this kind of conviction is driven home to the world primarily through Jesus' followers who, empowered by the Spirit, live their lives in such growing conformity to Christ that the same impact on the world is observed as when Jesus himself lived out his life before the world. Thus, when Christians obey the new commandment, All men learn that they are Jesus' disciples. We proclaim Jesus. We follow Jesus' disciples. The helper brings us, helps us bring conviction to the world of the emptiness of its own righteousness. And then he tells us another way. He says, concerning judgment, because the world judges wrongly. The world world judges by outward appearances. The world judges by its own ideas of right and wrong, by success and by good. And, And so people can get trapped into this notion of thinking that what is really good is, is outward success, outward appearances. What's really good is, is money or fame or fortune, whatever, whatever those things are that the world judges as best and as noble and as most good. And what the world desperately needs to know is the very way it evaluates and judges is wrong. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. He brings conviction. He's able to bust through that hard shell uh, that, that world judges, and he's, he's able to bust through self-righteousness. The Holy Spirit is able to break through those barriers and bring conviction. So don't be afraid that you won't be able to convince people. The Holy Spirit is able to convince people of sin and of their false righteousness and false judgment. And then he tells thing. the second way the helper works is to guide them. Jesus, he, he gives his disciples the helper to guide them, to guide them. As a boy around seven in the 1970s, I um, I was accidentally left behind. I've told the story before, but I was accidentally left behind at a rest area, and with along with a nine-year-old boy, and my parents had driven off. There was no cell phones; they didn't exist back in the 70s, and we had no idea where they were. They were somewhere on the road. We sat on this bench outside the rest area front doors, so we could see and be seen. We had. Gone all over. We'd already been distraught. We were sitting there, just kind of shell shocked, thinking, "Oh my goodness, they're not coming back. We're lost. We don't know. Will they ever come back?" And no means of communicating. And we were hopeless at that moment. It was the moment we were just about to give up. And we were sitting on this bench, and this gen- it's an extremely tall guy um, pulls into this parking space right in front of the doors. This car pulls right up, and as he's driving up, he's looking at us. It was weird. He's looking right at us. He pulls up. He gets out of the car. He's staring at both Todd and I. And he gets out of the car and he kind of ducks to come under the doorways. This gigantic guy, and he comes right to us. and Says, "You boys are lost, aren't you?" And we had heard all these stories about never like telling people that you're lost and alone. I'm like, "Oh, and we're like, yes!" And we broke down crying. And and he says, "That's okay. I'll take care of you. I I I know." I know how to get a hold of the state trooper, there's a janitor here, he's got a walkie-talkie down the, in, in his area, and um, I'll take you to them. And so he, he took us to the janitor, and he, he connected us with, a great, with the state police, and he waited until the state police showed up, and he guided us all along. And, and I really think he was, he was sent by God to keep us safe. He was our guide. He guided us to safety, he guided us to the place we needed to go, to, to the person we needed to be with. It's the same kind of language that Jesus is using here when he says that the helper. And by the way, that, that word helper is so kind, isn't it? And, and John is the only one who records it. In and, and this place, Jesus has often talked about the Holy Spirit before, but he specifically changes gears and he uses a different word. He uses the word helper intentionally here when he's talking to his disciples because his disciples will feel helpless. They will feel hopeless they will feel all alone, and so he uses this word for helper. That's someone who comes alongside you, who's an assistant, who is a, a, a confidant, a counselor, somebody who is a, a close helper, who aids and who guides. And he says, I have sent you the helper to guide you into all the truth. And what's all the truth that he's talking about? He's not, he's not here talking about, you know, Jesus is guiding you to figure out who your spouse is going to be and those kinds of things. Although the Holy Spirit does guide us in those ways, that's not what he's talking about here. What he's talking about here is guiding us into the truth, the truth, the truth about Jesus. The most important aspects of what the Holy Spirit does is that the Holy Spirit convicts and then he leads people, he guides people to the truth of Jesus. If you are here and you are a believer in Jesus Christ, it is because the Holy Spirit has guided you to see the truth. And you can be confident that if, if you are here and you've responded to Jesus, that you have the Holy Spirit, he will continue to convict and he will continue to guide you in the truth. And that can give you help, hope in your relationships as well, because sometimes other people cannot see their own sin, right? I just, it's just other people, right? And that's not us, but other people can't see their own sin. And if we're honest, we have to admit that really, no, it is us too. And and what does the Holy Spirit do? He convicts, and he's going to guide us to what? To the truth of who Jesus is, the truth of our sin, the truth of our need for Jesus, and the truth of how Jesus' life, death, and resurrection apply to our lives on a daily basis. Holy Spirit's going to guide us. That's what we need most, isn't it? We need the Holy Spirit to guide us in seeing the truth about Jesus that we who were once lost and hopeless going away, we're now personally guided by the helper to the one who rescues and redeems us. I need that fresh help every day. not about you, but every day I forget who I am in Christ and I need the Holy Spirit to communicate that truth. And here's the promise. If you go to him, the Holy Spirit is there. He is the helper to guide you to Jesus. He's the one we need the most because we can't see. We're lost. We don't know the way. He guides us. Another way the helper works is to declare. Jesus gives his disciples the helper to declare the truth. He gives his disciples the helper to declare the truth. Not only is the helper given to convict and the helper is given to guide, the helper is given to declare the truth. Why? Because we are deaf and we can't hear otherwise. We need the Holy Spirit to declare the truth, not only to us, but to declare the truth to the world, and to enable us to declare the truth. And that word for, he'll declare to his disciples the things that are to come. And that word for disclose or declare, declare it's used three times in this these little three little verses here, and it could... It could mean the helper would declare what's come in the sense of the the coming of Christ again. It could mean the kingdom, the rule of reign of Christ and Revelation. But I think what he's talking about primarily here is he's going to declare the truth about Jesus to the disciples in Scripture. You see, disciples didn't have the Scripture. John, this this book of John is actually written. It is a declaration of Jesus that has been given by the Holy Spirit. We now have this wonderful privilege of the declaration about who Jesus is and the effects of Jesus' life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his rule and reign. We have this declaration given by the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit freshly declares that. That's good news for us. He's used the disciples to declare the truth about Jesus. And they had to have been worried. What will we do without you? How will we know? What will we remember? And he says, I'm going to give you the helper. He's going to bring to remembrance all the things you need to know. And then it, it's wonderful to see in the various books of the Bible, how the disciples got it finally. They were, you know, you look when you read through the accounts in the Gospels, you're like the disciples just really didn't get what was going on. But then you read in the epistles and you see the unfolding of who Jesus is that the Holy Spirit has revealed. So it really is better by far that we're given the Holy Spirit. We can rely on the Holy Spirit to declare the truth and lead the church into the future that's what the Holy Spirit does. He declares the truth about Jesus. He's declared the truth about Jesus to you, and he declares the truth about Jesus to a watching world as well. That's what the work of Holy Spirit does. He, the Holy Spirit is not about exalting the Holy Spirit, and if you want to receive more of the Holy Spirit, if you, if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, if you want to see the Holy Spirit at work, the best way to pursue that is to say, Jesus, I want you And because I want to see you, I want to know you, I want to understand you, I need more of your spirit. Why? Not not just so we can have these signs and wonders and experience these things all for ourselves. It's so that we can understand Jesus more. Why? Because Jesus is our life. Jesus is our hope. He is our help. He is everything. The Holy Spirit makes Jesus beautiful to us. If you need Jesus to be beautiful to you, you need the Holy Spirit. And here's the great thing, the Holy Spirit does that. He guides you into the truth. He declares the truth. That's what he does. I love the, the beautiful picture that that we see the fruit of this in First in Peter. In First Peter one one, Peter is writing many, many years afterwards. And he's writing about the glory of Jesus and the truth of Jesus. And he says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now, for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. So the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes those tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you've not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy. It's inexpressible and filled with glory. Glory obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. What do we see here? We see the Holy Spirit declaring the truth about Jesus to and through his disciples. And we need that declaration of truth about Jesus. If if you want to live a victorious Christian life, what do we need? We need a declaration of the truth about who Jesus is. We need to understand who we are in Christ now, who now Christ has made us to be. And we need to understand our inheritance and the glory and the beauty of Jesus. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. You are not alone in your walk. You've not been left alone. You've not been left behind. You're not stranded, wondering, Jesus, when will you return? Because we can't do this without you, like I was as a little boy. That's, That's not who we are. That's not what we've been given. We've been given the very person of the Holy Spirit, the helper. We've been given God himself to be with us, to strengthen us, to sustain us, to to convict, to guide, to give us help on our mission, so that he might convict other people. So he's equipping us on the mission. He's enabling us to declare. He's, he's guiding people to him. He's guiding us in the truth. He's done all of this so we can have confidence and hope in Jesus Christ. We can find and know and understand Jesus, we're not lost. We'll never be lost. He's brought us to Jesus, and he'll continue to reveal Christ to us. And through his disciples, we have this wonderful revelation, and he's going to take what he's revealed and continue to declare it to our hearts and minds. And the Holy Spirit does all of this. Why? So that we might know Jesus. Amen? Well, I'm going to pray, and as I pray, I want the band to go ahead and come up, and going to sing, we're going to sing a song that we're actually going to, we're going to pray a prayer, really, singing Holy Spirit. And we're going to be asking for the Holy Spirit to come. So go now, come up if you're part of the band. Whoever's part of the band, come up, please.